NFL fans, and welcome to another episode of Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. We're happy to have some guests on our show this week. From CasualHeroes.com, Chad Johnson, not to be confused with Ocho Cinco, and Gavin Napier. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. How are you, Dave? Very Thanks good. Thanks for having us on, Dave. Oh, no problem. Thanks for coming on. Uh, these guys had me on their podcast on their website a couple weeks ago, so we had a great conversation then, so we're... Looking forward to another great one. Let's get right to uh, the Denver Broncos seem to be the lead story of this week, guys. Two of their uh, top personnel guys in the news for DUIs. Um, Director of Player Personnel Matt Russell and Director of Pro Personnel Tom Eckhart. Uh, Guys, uh, we'll start with you, Chad. What do you think of this story? Well, it's a pretty interesting story because uh, the – the initial announcement came out on uh, July, I think it was 9th, after the the incident with uh, with Heckard. Uh, but 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 the big groundswell of of complaint about it is that they really didn't make an announcement after Matt Russell was uh, uh, was arrested for DUI on Ju- on June 11th. Uh, so they you know they came out and they came out and made a statement on Heckard's behalf, but didn't come out and make one on Russell's behalf. And uh, a lot of players are crying foul because they're wondering if players would have been treated the same way as uh, mm-hmm. as when this happened happened uh versus a personnel guy right um so the initially i i think i forget the former player's name but there was a guy in denver that used to play for the broncos that had a really called them out in the media called them cowards from if i remember correctly yeah, that's former uh, offensive lineman Tom Nalen. I think he's got a couple right. old pros under his belt. Uh, but uh, he came out on Twitter and called them cowards. We said uh, because uh, they knew about the driving under the influence of Matt Russell but didn't come out and say a statement on it until a month later. So he was uh, kind of getting the players back. And I'm sure that there may be uh, there might be a, an issue with the, the Players Association going forward if something like this happened again. Gavin, what do you think of this? <clears throat> what jumps out with me? especially in, in college, it seems like more than the pros. But you hear when there are disruptions in the locker room, whether it's a player DUI, a player arrest for domestic violence, something of that nature, you hear about the culture that the, the coach is generating inside the locker room and the culture of the team. And this immediately makes me wonder about the type of culture that the Denver Broncos front office has established. Mm-hmm. Um, you look back at... Elway and John Fox, and not to beat a long dead and ridiculously overbeaten horse already, <laughs> but you look at how things were handled with the Tim Tebow situation. Uh, it was a steadfast refusal to play him until it became an absolute necessity. Hmm. Uh, and a lot of people accused the front office of operating with something of an arrogance in, in terms of their disregard for the fans' wishes and what seemed to be uh, a better opportunity for the team to win when Kyle Orton kept losing games and kept losing games and the refusal to make a change. And Elway has always carried something of an arrogance about him, even going back to his college days when he refused to play for specific teams coming out of college. You don't draft me. It'll be a waste of a pick. Right. Yeah. Uh, Many people forget that. That type of arrogance served him well on the field because to be a skill position player in the NFL and be successful at it, you have to have some sort of ego. So I don't fault him for that on the field, but it seems like it's carried over into the front office as well. And it just, it makes me wonder what the culture of the front office and the Denver Broncos organization is right now. What kind of uh, culture do you think uh, the Broncos have for you, for you, Chad? How, how do you feel the, their culture is in Denver? Well, we've always we've always looked at the Broncos as one of the most stand up organizations in the league. I mean, ever since the days of Elway and and uh, through the through the nineties, the the Jake Plummer era, so forth, and even now that they have you know Peyton Manning under center, you know they're they're they've always been viewed as one of the class acts in the NFL. They haven't had a lot of. Uh, they haven't had a lot of huge uh, issues. I mean, until the Tebow thing came around, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, but I mean, from from a management standpoint, it looks like it's always been a pretty a pretty steadfast organization. I mean, they've had quality coaches come through there over the years, especially guys like. Um, 
uh, Dan Reeves, uh, Mike Shanahan. Right. You know, they've had quality. They've had quality personnel in place. It's just it seems to be a more recent issue. Uh, and and I don't know if the recent hiring of John Fox has has added on to that. Um, but uh, but these these might just be isolated incidents and not a, not a culture based issue. So. I guess we really don't know because we're not inside the inside the uh, the locker room, so to speak. Right, we're not inside. I I do remember a few years ago, Gavin. I love that point you brought up, where uh, the owner of the Broncos really kind of all of a sudden fired uh, Mike Shanahan. I think it was after the 2008 season, and this guy had won two Super Bowls, and then all of a sudden he was out of the league, out of the Broncos, and he kind of unjustly, in my mind, it was. Uh, Shanahan is a different character altogether, and I think you saw some of that in Washington last year when he sort of went against everyone's advice and continued to play Robert Griffin III, <laughs> and whether that was right or wrong, time will tell. Yeah. But Shanahan's the type of guy that doesn't care to butt heads with those above him, and I think that's why wherever you see Shanahan go, he'll take uh, almost an Andy Reid-type approach where he is the GM and the head coach so that he doesn't mm-hmm. have to worry about that. Uh, but I think that that might be sort of one of those telltale signs throughout history of how the upper management in the organization deals with things because they weren't going to let Shanahan continue to buck the system or do things his way. They had a plan in place. They wanted things done his way. And no matter how successful he was, if he wasn't going to play by the organization's rules, then he was going to be ushered out the door. Chad, you mentioned earlier that uh, the players were in an outrage because – of the way they would be treated if they had a DUI. Uh, do you think it would have been any different if a Broncos player had been charged with a DUI? Would they have tried to cover it up? I don't know if I don't know if there would have been a cover up. I mean, it, I mean, here's the thing: is we see several uh, different players every year get uh, strung out all over ESPN and all the different news outlets for some form of violence or attack or shooting or what have you. Uh, I don't know that they would have tried to cover it, cover it up, but I I think if the media had gotten wind of it, it would have been a much bigger story. Going forward, Galvin, do you think that, well, the, they really have set uh, a precedence here with uh, the punishment that they're putting out on the DUI, um, the the two guys in the, in the front office for the Broncos that have gotten the DUIs. Uh, is this a dangerous precedence that they're they're starting right now, and will it carry on to the players? I don't know if dangerous is the right word. Um, I, I think it's sort of a wait and see approach. Um, obviously, with Roger Goodell and his initiative towards cleaning up the act of the players and their behavior off the field, um, he's he's overstepped a few bounds, according to some. Uh, personally, I think it was long overdue, much needed. Mm-hmm. Um, then you look at, again, what they've done with college coaches that have had penalties, like Jim Tressel uh, and his conduct off the field, and even away from the NFL altogether. Uh, and it makes you wonder what sort of precedent's been set for guys like Chip Kelly coming in, because now he has the <laughs> show cause penalty against him. Right. Um, I guess what troubles me more about the precedent that's being set here and how the NFL handles this and how the organization handles this is will there be any sort of consistency moving forward? Because to this point, we've not heard anything about Chip Kelly and any penalty that he'll suffer. If you are going to impose that penalty on Jim Tressel, why not Chip Kelly? (laughs) However, this is handled by the league and the organization with these coaches and with players – my concern is, will there be any sort of consistency going forward? And to piggyback on what Gavin said, the, the NFLPA, the, the new contract as part of the CBA, the NFLPA is only, or the CBA only allows them to find them uh, a, a game check up to a maximum of $50,000 for a first DUI uh, uh, arrest or conviction, I guess. Um, and you can have further discipline, including suspensions on subsequent violations, but it's only a $50,000 fine on the first offense for it to happen. So I don't know that there's much of a deterrent in place currently because for a for a majority of NFL players, a $50,000 fine is kind of a drop in the bucket. That's true. That's a very good point. And I agree with Gavin. I would like to see the NFL get some more consistency with their punishments. And we see it time and again with, and the newest one is just the Chip Kelly thing 
where Jim Tressel and uh, had the the punishment, and he couldn't uh, coach in the first six or seven games, and that was instilled because they didn't want to have a, a controversy because of um, the, the quarterback who got suspended. Um, so, again, that was a precedence that was that was set because of that, and now it's come back, and, and now they, they are uh, contradicting themselves once again. Good first opening segment. Stay with us. We're going to go into some quarterback talk in our next segment. <laughs> Welcome back to Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. You can find me on Twitter, D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B. You can also email me, holcombmdavid at gmail.com. We're here with guests Chad and Gavin. We're going to go into a nice little segment about quarterbacks. I'm going to name a quarterback from the NFL, and I'm going to ask our guests if they believe he is a franchise quarterback. And if they say yes, I'm going to have a follow-up question and uh, ask them if they will be a Super Bowl-winning quarterback in the next you know, five to ten years or so. So yay or nay for you guys for each name that I say. Let's start out with Josh Freeman. A lot of controversy, a little, at least a little bit of controversy with him down in Tampa Bay. They drafted a quarterback, Mike Gleaton, in the third round from NC State. He played his junior and senior years at, at, uh, at North Carolina State. Freeman. Chad? Yay or nay? Um, I don't think he's a franchise quarterback. He's living off of one season where he had a 95 uh, passer rating and a 4-1 to TD-INT ratio. But since then, he's been completing much fewer passes, and he's only got a 1-1 to touchdown-to-interception ratio over the last two seasons. Gavin? If you've ever seen the movie Just Friends starring Ron Reynolds, one of the things that Ron Reynolds' little brother in the movie screams at him is, you'll always be fat to me. Well, no matter what Josh Freeman does as far as a physical makeover on the field, he's always going to be fat Josh Freeman to me. (laughs) The reason that I don't think Josh Freeman is a franchise quarterback, and especially not for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, is as Chad touched on, they drafted a quarterback. I don't know if the guy they drafted is going to be the guy for them, but it looks to me like Greg Schiano is starting to form that team more in his image, and he'll put up with Josh Freeman for now, but if Greg Schiano can find the guy that he honestly believes is his guy, Freeman's gone. He's not the franchise quarterback for the Bucks in five years, three years. I'd be surprised if he's still there in three years. With that uh, thought, I, I, I think it would be surprising if he's there even next year because uh, with Freeman, his contract is up at the end of this season, and if uh, Shiano indeed wants to go with a guy that is his own guy, then Freeman could be in his last year in Tampa Bay. Let's go on to a guy that got a contract extension this week. Matthew Stafford is going to be a Detroit Lion, uh, unless there's some kind of trade or something, until 2017. Gavin, yay or nay, franchise quarterback Stafford? If uh, our fellow casual hero Dwayne listens to this, he's going to be very upset with me, but I think yes for Matthew Stafford. Um, I think that especially with the wide receiver talent, that he has in Detroit, uh, Megatron, and really anybody else that they want to put on the other side of the field with the attention that Calvin Johnson uh, demands from the defense. I think that it opens a lot of options up for Stafford. He has that Brett Favre mentality in that he is a gunslinger. He's fearless. If he throws five interceptions in the first half, he's going to come right back out firing in the second half. It doesn't phase him when he has a bad game, and that's one of the hallmarks of a franchise quarterback. It's it's almost a closer mentality in baseball. you got to shake off the bad and look forward. Um, as far as the success of the organization, I don't know how much success Detroit's going to have, but fly or fail, I don't think it's going to be on Matthew Stafford. If they fail, I think he'll do his part. Chad, to you, yay or nay on Stafford? Um, anytime you have a chance to spend all your money on a quarterback who's not won a playoff game for your franchise and has a history of injury issues, you have to do it. Uh, he's absolutely not a, a, a franchise quarterback for the reason that he's got maybe the best receiver of the last 10 years in 
in Calvin Johnson. And he's not put up enough. He's only got, gotten them into the playoffs once, and he's not won a playoff game. Um, it's it's just – it's not all about putting up stats. You've got to put Ws on the board. I mean, you can throw for 5,000, 6,000 yards. If you don't win games, it really doesn't matter. I, I get your point, Chad, but this he took over a team that didn't win any games in 2008. And although they're not winning a ton of games, 9, 10 wins a season is pretty good for Detroit. Yeah, but it, I mean, still, it's all about what you do in the playoffs. I mean, as a as a lowly Bengal fan, I mean, my team's made the playoffs the last two seasons, but we've not put a W up on the board. So that's, I mean, that's failure. You've got to continue to grow. Winning nine or ten games isn't good enough if you're still sitting at home watching the playoffs on the TV. Got it. Okay. Well, the extension for Stafford guarantees him forty-one and a half million dollars. His fifty-three million dollar contract, and once again, he'll be on the Lions till after the 2017 season. From one number one pick to the next, Sam Bradford was number one overall in 2010 draft, and he could be due for a giant contract similar to Stafford's next season. Chad, yay or nay on Bradford? We've only got a couple of seasons of of data to, to go off of, but I'm saying yes, and he's getting better year after year. His yards per completion are up over the last two seasons, as is his uh, completion percentage, and his quarterback rating is also up. He's going to get a lot of help coming in this season with uh, with both uh, Tavon Austin uh, mm-hmm. and Stedman Bailey from West Virginia on on, across, on opposite sides of the field. So he's going to have the ability to to throw to some dynamic playmakers, and and this may be the year that he really breaks out. Gavin, what can we expect from the Rams and and Bradford? Yay or nay on him? I went back and forth a lot on Bradford when I was looking at the list of guys that you wanted to talk about as far as franchise quarterbacks because it, Sam Bradford came out with all the hype. He was number one pick, and I feel like he almost got put in a in this similar situation to David Carr in that he went to a team where he was just going to get beat up and there wasn't really a chance for him to win. You look at guys like David Carr and Joey Harrington historically that have gone to those situations. Uh, you can throw Tim Couch into that group. I don't mm. know how good those guys would have been if they hadn't been thrown to the Wolves on a team that wasn't built to compete. Right. Sam Bradford, despite being thrown onto a team that wasn't ready to compete when they drafted him, has been pretty solid statistically. I think as St. Louis is able to draft more talent, and like Chad said, a lot of it hinges on how well the two wide receivers from my favorite college team, WVU, uh, (laughs) that's complete sarcasm for anybody that knows me, can't stand them, but Austin and Bailey are very talented, and whether I like them or not, or like whether they played college football or not, they're, they're talented wide receivers, and I think Sam Bradford's success does depend now and in the next few seasons on how well those guys adapt to the NFL. If they can get just a couple of pieces around Bradford, and if they can shore up the defense, and if they can use these draft picks that they've been accumulating, then I think Sam Bradford can fit the classic mold of a franchise quarterback, absolutely. One thing I want to say about Bradford, I think for me – I think it was his second season when uh, the Rams were seven and eight and played the Seahawks, who were seven and eight in the last season, the last game of the year, and it was the the game to see who gets the last playoff spot. And for me, it was like Bradford was already there; he was already almost taking his team to the playoffs, even though they were seven and nine. So, like in my head, it was like this this kid is getting there, but now. I mean, it was only 7-9 and nine that year, and now the, the, the division in the NFC West is a lot stronger, and it feels like he's farther away than he was two or three years ago. I think that's more of a reflection on what other teams have done than it is, to Sam, than it is on the, Sam Bradford. Because if you look, Seattle and San Francisco have been incredibly aggressive in free agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, they And the NFC is going to be very top-heavy this year between... Uh, San Francisco, Seattle, Green Bay, and Atlanta. The NFC is going to be incredibly top-heavy. I I think that's going to make it very difficult for Bradford to get the Rams over the hump, but we've seen in the NFL 
like you mentioned with Stafford, he inherited a team with no wins, 0-16, and got them to a place where they were in the playoffs. So big turnarounds can happen, and it wouldn't surprise me to see Bradford engineer a big turnaround for the Rams in the next couple of seasons. One team that could certainly use a big, big turnaround, the New York Jets, uh, I say this kind of half-jokingly, but we had Mark Sanchez on our list. Chad, Sanchez, franchise quarterback, is there any hope with him? You know, I don't think so. And, I, and, and this is a bad reflection on, on the University of Southern California, which is, which is create, which is, you know, created a cradle of quarterbacks, so to speak, with guys like Carson Palmer, with Mark Sanchez, now with Matt Barkley. Uh, you know, that they, they have this... They have this aura of producing great quarterbacks, but Sanchez, but Sanchez, is he even calling the Sanchez? I'm so I'm so indoctrinated by the media. <laughs> uh, he's only been completing 55 percent of his passes in his career. His 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 QB rating for a full season's never been over 80. He had nine fumbles last year, including the dreaded butt fumble that gets replayed every time they mention him. Yeah. And the Jets drafted Geno Smith. It's right. not a good sign to be a franchise quarterback if your team is is spending a second round pick on on drafting a guy who who a lot of people think is already better than you coming out of college. Gavin, uh, to add to the yay or nay question, does Sanchez start or is it going to be Geno Smith? Um, I would start Sanchez, but again, I, I don't like WVU, and I think Geno <laughs> Smith has a terrible attitude. I yeah. think uh, I think a second-round pick on Geno Smith was reaching I think they could have gotten a better quarterback at that spot, and I think if they really wanted Geno Smith, they probably could have waited on him. Um, there are telltale signs from Smith uh, that his attitude is not going to be something that fosters a lot of cohesiveness in the locker room. Uh, he was asked if he was going to take part in Sanchez Jets West offseason camp, and he was very noncommittal at first, and then he said, hey, okay, sure, yeah, I'll go. And then the camp opened and he wasn't there. Even if you don't want to go hang out with the guy that you're going to be competing for a job with, those are your teammates. And you should probably be out there. Uh, Regardless of Geno Smith and whether he takes Sanchez's starting job, uh, Sanchez is not a franchise quarterback. If there were a word that meant the opposite of franchise quarterback, that would be Mark Sanchez. Um, I think he took... He caught a lot of people off guard his rookie season. I think mm-hmm. his success was sort of lightning in a bottle, and he hasn't been able to recapture that, and yeah. I don't think he ever will. I think that Mark Sanchez is headed for a career where he can be a serv- serviceable backup. He can come in off the bench and give a team quality snaps if their quarterback goes down. Um, I want to say a poor man's Jeff Garcia but I actually really liked Jeff Garcia and think Jeff Garcia is one of the more underrated quarterbacks uh, of our last 10 or 15 years in the mm-hmm. NFL. But I think Sanchez is going to have a career similar to that. Maybe Jeff Garcia is a poor man's uh, Mark Sanchez. Could be. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I agree with you that it was kind of lightning in a bottle and he came out and took them to two straight championship games and that was mostly the defense, not him. And then... The Jets not giving him really anybody to compete with. He was handed the job. Uh, just wasn't really a good situation. Still isn't. And they still don't have the guy that's going to be the long-term quarterback. I don't think it's going to be Geno Smith either. He has a horrible attitude, like you said. But let's let's go on to the next guy. Let's go to Jay Cutler, guys. Uh, Chad, Cutler could be on his last year uh, or a couple of last years with the Bears as he's been there for a while now. Um, there's going to be a new head coach there with Mark Tressum. Uh, is Cutler a franchise quarterback? You, you know, you look. You can look at the statistics and he's mired in mediocrity among NFL quarterbacks. So, no, he's not really a franchise quarterback and you're not going to win a Super Bowl with him. Uh, he... He holds the ball too long in the pocket. He doesn't excel at the point in the game when you really need him to. And he's slightly below average when you compare him to the rest of the league. He's 23rd in the league in completion percentage. He's got a just slightly over uh, uh, one-to-one touchdown-to-interception ratio. Uh, he's... He's twenty. He's in the low twenties in uh, passing in yards per attempt or yards per completion. I'm sorry. So it's not. So he's not really even 
an average quarterback. He's a below average quarterback in when he's compared to the rest of the league. Gavin, your thoughts on Cutler? Um, the best way I know to describe Jay Cutler is he's somebody else's franchise quarterback. You don't want him to be the franchise quarterback of your team. But if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars and you could upgrade from Blaine Gabbert to Jay Cutler, you're going to be thrilled. Hmm. Um, I feel like Cutler is almost a working class franchise quarterback. He's not flashy. Um, again, he's probably not the guy you want to be the franchise quarterback for your team. But if you are a lower tier team, um, Jacksonville, Arizona, one of these teams that's in desperate need of quarterback help, then he could be a franchise quarterback on one of those uh, squads. But overall, in the big picture, no, I don't. I can't put him on the list of franchise quarterbacks. Which is an interesting thought because that's kind of where the Bears were. The Bears were in desperate need of a quarterback just about three years ago. And for them, Cutler was fine. Uh, he, he was he was a okay for the Bears when they were desperate, but unless you're desperate, you don't want Cutler to be the guy for you. Okay, uh, we're going on to our last guy on our list, someone that actually had very big success as uh, a rookie two years ago. Last year, had similar success, a little bit down in some of his statistics. Cam Newton, uh, Gavin, let's start with you this time. Newton, is he a franchise quarterback? depends on what you want out of a franchise quarterback. If you want marketability and if you want to sell tickets, then for the next two or three years, yeah, Cam Newton's going to be a franchise quarterback. If you want long-term success and high-level play from the quarterback position, then no. This kid has been surrounded by trouble since he was in college and even before he was in college, going back to his recruitment process. Trouble finds this kid. That's not what you want as an NFL team. Now, in Carolina, they love him. Um, and as long as he can pull out almost those Michael Vick moments from when Michael Vick was in Atlanta where he frustrated the fan base, and I speak from experience, <laughs> with some of the idiot things that he did, there were those moments when you were down five with 10 seconds left in the fourth quarter and had the ball on your own 30-yard line, and he would break containment and hit a 70-yard touchdown run against the Vikings as time expired. You know, hmm. you lived for those moments, and it kept you coming back. Those moments get fewer and farther between, and, and all of a sudden the shine has worn off, and not only is he not a franchise quarterback at that point, but they're looking for ways to get him out of town at that point. Uh, Cam is a very athletic specimen. He has all the physical tools. I don't think he's as dumb as some people have made him out to be. Uh, is he one of the smartest quarterbacks of all time? No, I don't think he's there either. Um, I just can't see a team pinning their long-term hopes on Cam Newton and anything good coming of it. I would agree with that. I, I think he runs a little bit too much. I'm old-fashioned, though. Chad, how do you feel about the, the more running-style quarterbacks and Cam Newton? Is he a franchise quarterback? You know, I think he is a franchise quarterback, and I'm basing it on just a couple of things. He came out and averaged almost eight yards of throw in his first two seasons. Uh, he's also got a positive uh, touchdown-interception ratio. His quarterback rating is hovering in the mid-80s, which is pretty good for a guy who's who's you know just two years removed from college. Um, the The He's being held back a little bit by what's around him in Carolina. They don't have a fantastic, uh, a fantastic offense. In fact, he's providing a lot of the offense. He's he's rushed for 700 yards each of his first two seasons. You know, he's got 22 combined rushing touchdowns already in two seasons. Uh, I think he's, I think he's got what it takes to be the franchise quarterback. If you took him out of Carolina and you dropped him into uh, a franchise on the verge of jumping up. You'll say you put him in like a Houston, or you put him in maybe a uh, maybe a Pittsburgh. How much better? How much better are those teams if he's there as opposed to the quarterbacks that they have right now? Can he succeed to the same level that a Roethlisberger or a Matt Schaub are doing in those cities? I think he. I think he's at. I think he's about to break that level, or I think he can break that level. It's just what Carolina is going to put in place around him to give him the ability to do that. 
Okay, so we've gotten to the end of our list. We've had a few uh, few of, uh, guys that you've said that well, you would say or consider a franchise quarterback. Chad, you only said Cam Newton, correct? Um, I know I said Sam Bradford too. Sam Bradford too. Okay, so we'll start with Bradford. Bradford is he a Super Bowl quarterback, uh, winning quarterback in the next five to ten years? Five years, no. Ten years, it's possible. It really, de- it really depends on the development of the team. I mean, because we know that you know uh, they're going to be without Stephen Jackson going forward, and how's that going to how's that going to affect how that offense runs? Uh, you know, they, they've got to they've got to look long term for running game. They've got to shore up the defense. Uh, so I think it's possible he can win a Super Bowl. I don't know that he will. And how about Newton with Carolina? I don't think so. I don't. I just. I just don't think. I just don't think the the organization in Carolina is putting the right pieces in the place. They're, I don't see growth out of them. I actually see kind of a uh, regression uh, to mediocrity for them. They really need high powered weapons around him. If they had really uh, really great receivers on the outside for for Newton to throw to, how much would that open up the middle for Newton to be able to scramble or for a or for a decent running game? Uh, I just don't see them putting the pieces in place to to make that engine go. All right, to you, Gavin. You said Stafford and Bradford were yes. your franchise quarterbacks. Yes. Either one of them, you think, going to win the Super Bowl? Uh, same as Chad. In the next five years, no. Um, I think Stafford is probably closer than Bradford, just because I think Detroit has a little bit more help around him, just by nature of having Calvin Johnson there. Um, I think there needs to be sort of a attitude shift in Detroit from the front office to the coaching staff to the players. But with that, and as that comes, I think that Stafford can make the Detroit Lions a significant threat to win a Super Bowl. Bradford, I think, is a little far off. But like Chad, I think it's mainly because of the organization. It's not anything that he's done wrong. I think it's the organization and the rebuilding process and just outside of that five-year window, I can see Bradford contending for a title. All right, good stuff, guys. That's the end of our quarterback franchise talk segment. We're going to take a quick break and then come back with a couple questions for our guests. Here on Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle, your host Dave Holcomb. We got Chad Johnson and Gavin Napier here as our guests from CasualHeroes.com. Had a great quarterback segment just before, and now we're going to go on to talking about some head coaches. Gavin, if you had to name one head coach that was on the hot seat this season, who would it be? Uh, it's tempting to go with some of the usual suspects. You know, Dallas's head coach is always on the hot seat. Uh, certain franchises are always in disarray. But for me, the guy that's sort of under the radar and on the hot seat is Mike Munchak in Tennessee. Um, They've had a couple of disappointing seasons. Hmm. They've given him a little bit of rope to work with because he is a new head coach. But I think when you consider the fact that they have spent some some high draft picks on wide receiver talent, uh, they've got a guy at quarterback, Jake Locker, that people expect big things from and it hasn't really developed. Right. And you've got a guy that's ran for 2,000 yards at running back in Chris Johnson, and he hasn't lived up to his potential over the last couple of seasons as well. Right. Whether it's fair or not, at some point, that's going to fall back on the head coach. When you need to make a major change in the organization, it's easier to change the guy on the sidelines than it is to change four or five pieces that are on the field. And whether it's fair or not, whether people have unrealistic expectations for Tennessee – I feel like if the Titans don't at least get to 500 this year, show some improvement on the field, and contend for a playoff berth, then I think Mike Munchak's job might be in trouble. That's a really good pick, Gavin. Uh, looking at Munchak, he's in his third. He will be in his third season with Tennessee. He was nine and seven in 2011. Regressed in 2012 to six and ten. Never a good thing to get worse. And then um, one thing I wanted to say about Chris Johnson, Johnson's big season, if I remember, was in 2010, correct? Or 2009 was yes. his 2000. 
What year was his 2,000-yard season? Uh, was it? I think it was 2009, wasn't it, Chad? I think... I'm, I'm, I, I'd, I'd, have to, I'd have to go to the Oracle of Google to tell me, <laughs> because I, I, th- I, I want to say it was 2010. Okay. I, I'm thinking it was 2009, because I actually had him on my fantasy team in 2010, and he had a good season that year, but it wasn't the 2,000 yards. That's, that's the same reason that I was thinking <laughs> that it was 2009, because I drafted him. And that was when I learned a valuable lesson about running backs. Um, right. But but what I wanted to yes, say 2009. was... Oh, okay. 2009. 2009 was his 2006 big... 2006 yards, and he had 2,509 total yards from scrimmage. Right. Okay, so that was, that was 2009, and then he had a pretty good season in 2010. Nowhere close to 2,000, but still, you know, 1,300, 1,400-yard season, I'm guessing. And then when Munchuk came in was when he kind of had his downfall of his career... And he instilled this new blocking scheme. So maybe, uh, you know, this new head coach isn't the way to go. Now, Johnson's older now, so maybe that's partially it too. But I couldn't really understand why they brought in this new blocking system when you had a a 2,000-yard rusher. Yeah, every coach that comes in wants to put their thumbprint on the organization, whether it's retooling the offensive scheme as a whole, moving from the 4-3 to the 3-4, introducing new blitz packages, blocking schemes, whatever the case may be. Uh, You look at Andy Reid going to Kansas City. He's going to install the West Coast offense there, and I think it'll be a great fit with Alex Smith and the Mm -hmm. talent they have there. I agree. Um, Munchak comes in, and he retools the blocking scheme, and like you said, Chris Johnson's productivity drops off immediately afterwards. Right. It might be a matter of pride, and he doesn't want to give up that blocking scheme. But if it's going to save your job, you may want to find somebody that runs the offensive line and does things that plays a little bit more to the strengths of a guy that's a pure speed back. Right. You know, Chris Johnson doesn't need to be in the middle of the field. He doesn't need to be looking for contact and trying to break tackles. He needs a blocking scheme that allows him to get to the corner as quickly as possible and find the sidelines and get up field. Take advantage of his speed and his elusiveness and allow him to do the things that made him a 2,000-yard rusher. We've seen in the last couple of years that towards the end of the season, and I don't know if it's a matter of them tinkering with the scheme along the way or Johnson just getting frustrated and doing things his own way, but we've seen Chris Johnson sort of pick up steam as the year goes on. Uh, And maybe they need to look at what they've done in the second half of the last two years and see what has made Chris Johnson more productive in, in that part of the season, and maybe try it from the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. I, I think you hit it right on the head. With uh, the best head coaches will adjust to their players, and yes, I, I get your point that a lot of guys are stubborn and want to put their footprint on franchise teams. But if you want to keep your job, you better be able to adjust to the personnel that you have. Now, Chad, uh, what uh, head coach are you looking at this season to being on the hot seat? Well, they had a couple of, of, of dead set options. I mean, we, we talked about Jim Schwartz in Detroit with now with Matthew Stafford getting that monster contract. Um, but I have to put the spotlight on the Big Apple and say it's got to be Rex Ryan. I mean, the seat is always hottest where the media is the biggest, and that's definitely in New York. And after the absolute blunder that was the the 2012 season with all the with all the quarterback problems and then the uh the Tebow distraction the issues with uh with the Rel Rivas and and that they were dealing through there uh now he's in the spotlight for running with the Bulls in Pamplona and <laughs> and he didn't get gored so it's, I guess that's okay but here's the thing is if they come out and they go they start out for 0 and 4 or 0 and 5 and he's not made the switch to Geno Smith or someone else at quarterback, uh, and then then the the Boo Birds are going to be out in force. And once that spotlight gets turned up in New York, it's very hard to get out from under it. I mean, Tom Coughlin has been amazing at being able to dodge um, the the media and the scrutiny that that is played in that market. But Rex Ryan has just has just had so many blunders on and off the field that it's hard for for him to to get out from from that spotlight i'm surprised that he still has his job this year they the 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 jets fired their gm last year at the end of last season um they talked about getting rid of sanchez they got rid of the offensive coordinator it seemed like to me the guys that they got rid of were yes part of the problem but not the huge the the, the biggest part of the problem with sanchez 
who I guess you're not going to get rid of because maybe because of his contract, and and Rex Ryan. I thought he should have been definitely gone last year, and and the Jets selected to keep him. Yeah, and, and it's it's going to be hard to tell how that how that plays out. I mean, I mean, it's, it was one season. There was a lot of issues there. There was the whole Tim Tebow episode, and right. and and to be honest, you know, there were there were a lot of injuries on the Jets last year. So it's not just you know the the, the quarterback problem, but I mean, as as Sanchez regresses to to being way below average and that, that, that looks like the way he's going and the farther they get from playing in those two AFC championship games in 2009 and 2010 the more that Ryan's success uh, becomes linked with how they're performing at the quarterback position because if, if Sanchez comes out in the first two games of the season and let's assume he starts and he comes out and, and they, get, they get walloped then, then Rex Ryan's going to have to make the switch in order to keep his job I guess for me for, for the Jets I just thought that they, wanted, they would want to start fresh um, after such a huge debacle last year, they got rid of Revis, part of kind of a, the hitting the reset button a little bit. But they but they kept guys like Sanchez and, and Ryan. And and to me, it wasn't just last year that was a huge problem. I get that last year was really the beginning with Tebow and everything. But this started really in December of 2011. The, the team was eight and five, and they blew their last three games to not make the playoffs. And if if you remember the the last game of the season against the Dolph, the lowly Dolphins and Sanchez gets into the red zone and fumbles, there were a lot of problems back then too. So I, I'm I'm just surprised that Ryan still has his job even today. Yeah, it, I mean, here's the, here, the other thing is there's not a re, there's not a real glut of great coaching talent out there right now. I mean, we're, I mean, a lot of people are digging into college ranks to pull people out, or they're getting guys who are career special teams assistants to, to, to be to, to, to be coaches, or they're even going to the CFL like Trustman in Chicago. So that may mm, that may yeah. have another another part to do with it. But I can totally see the the, the Jets jettisoning the the head coach and and most of the front office staff if this season doesn't go well. Yeah, that's a good point with the the, the head coaches um, and getting Tressum from the CFL. That that was a guy that I, I hadn't heard of before. So my next question for you guys, we added this into the rundown late because of the, the breaking news over the weekend. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars owner, Shahad Kahan, if that's how you say his name, um, bought the Fulham... The soccer team from Fulham. I don't know. Do, do Premier League teams have mascots? I never see them with mascots. But, they um, do, but they're kind of. It's kind of unofficial. Like I think uh, Wolverhampton is called the Rovers or something like that. I mean, they kind of do, but it's almost like a a nickname. Like uh, Tottenham Hotspur is called Spurs, not the Spurs, just Spurs. <laughs> uh, so you know, I don't know. It's it's crazy British stuff. Gavin's a huge <laughs> soccer fan, by the way. He can talk about it for hours. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I can go on and on and on about soccer. Well, you'll have to tell me where I can watch some Premier League games this season because I would like to get into it. I've spent a lot of time in London and I've like, would like to get into soccer. But um, So the, the, the Jaguars owner bought Fulham, the soccer team there in London. That's southwest London for, for those who do not know. Um, and it just brings up more speculation about the NFL moving to... Uh, London. Now, from the British side, I think the the British media, the English media, is talking about that as well. But they're also talking about how this is now the sixth American owner in in an an owner that owns an American sports team. He's the sixth one to now buy a Premier League team. So I'll go to you first, Gavin. Is the story here that Americans are getting into Premier League and American owners? are spreading their their greed across the pond? Is that the bigger story, or is this a bigger story for the NFL possibly getting a franchise in London? Um, I, I don't think there's been any secret that Roger Goodell would like for the league to expand into London. Uh, I still don't know how realistic that would be uh, just from a scheduling perspective. It would be an absolute nightmare to have one team stuck over there while the other three teams in their division are in America. And it would be a nightmare to have an entire division over there, expect a team to play half their season over there, and then come back for the second half of their season. Um, Beyond that, then you get into the whole playoff situation. Where is the playoff game played if a team from over there qualifies? So I don't think it's any secret that while the NFL wants a team over there, I just don't know how realistic that can be. Uh, to me, as far as the owners, 
it's just a simple business decision. Uh, soccer franchises are huge business. They make a ton of money. And you said, is it owners just spreading their greed? Yeah, it's another <laughs> way for them to make money. If they've got the money to buy a franchise, then they're going to take a business opportunity and try to cash in with it. Chad, what are your thoughts on a team like the Jaguars, maybe even the Rams, moving over to London? Well, you know, I was looking through the list of, of all the English Premier League football clubs and 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 who and who owns them. And you know, you got Stan Kroenke from the the Rams, who owns uh, part of Arsenal. Mm-hmm. You've got um, Malcolm Glazer, who owns the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and also owns part of Manchester United. Now, Shad Khan, who owns uh, the Jags. Uh, you know, bought into Fulham, you know, so there's, there's a few, I mean, you've even got, uh, you've even got Randy Lerner, who's the owner of the Cleveland Browns, who's a part owner of Aston Villa. Oh, that's right. Uh, Yeah. You've got, uh, and you've got, and you've got for, uh, you got LeBron Henry and NBA uh, champion LeBron James, who are co-owners of Liverpool. So Mm. you've got a lot of, you've got a lot of people who are involved in, in these teams, but there's, there's, there's an aspect of this that is, smart from the business side it's also smart from the sports cultural side is you're crossbreeding your fans so you're going to get american football fans who want to watch english football because of an allegiance to their team and vice versa but the, and but the other part of that is english football fans Engl- and talking about english soccer fans to, for for to, to, to make the conversation easier <laughs> english english soccer fans are diehards about their franchises as 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 much vitriol as Gavin and I have for each other's respective universities, that's how these that's how these these uh, these football or these soccer fans feel about their clubs. If you if you're a if you're a red cheering for Manchester for Manchester United and you're a blue cheer cheering for Manchester City, you know it is just you know you, you, you hate each other. You, right. you just do. That's mm-hmm. how it is. That's 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 the whole soccer hooligan culture. But here, but if we're talking about moving a team to London, the only choice out of this is really the Jacksonville Jaguars. And the reason for that is, well, now Shad Khan is an international businessman and he's got a football team over there, so he can crossbreed that that, that attendance. But the other part is the, the attendance for Jaguars games has been through the floor. While they're selling tickets, they're not getting butts in the seats at the games, and that's starting to cause some issues in Jacksonville. Um, they were they only sold out at... I want to say it was like 90% capacity last season. Uh, but the actual people going to the game was much less than that. They were only hmm. half-filling stadiums for almost the entire year. Which, unfortunately, for I, I hate to poke holes in your point because I think the Jaguars are a very good choice, but they seem to have a, a much stronger um, stadium lease and um, can't, that doesn't seem like it can be broken for – I read up to 2030, so it might be really difficult for the Jaguars unless they want to pay the money or London or the NFL, somebody else wants to pay the money for them to leave the city of Jacksonville. It might be very difficult for them to go, but with the Rams, the Rams we talked about, actually I talked about on Monday Morning Huddle a couple weeks ago, their stadium lease broke, um, or or because the the city is denying St. Louis, the Rams... Uh, upgrades to their dome, uh, they can break that lease after the 2014 season. So just another interesting uh, wrinkle. And then, of course, you mentioned before, the the owner of the St. Louis Rams also owns Arsenal, who is another team in London. So just another interesting wrinkle in the story, and perhaps maybe there'll be a race to be the first team in London. Yeah, it just depends on the way that the league wants to go. I mean, I, I, I'm with Gavin. I'm not... I'm I'm not sure how they're going to handle if they just put one team in London. Does a team fly over, play two games, then fly mm-hmm. back for two home games, and and so on? Is that how that works out? Because that would be a lot of miles on it. I mean, we're seeing it right now in college football, where you're getting these West Coast teams that are part of East Coast conferences, right. and the East Coast teams part of you know Central and Southwest conferences, and having to travel you know two thousand miles to get to their nearest opponent in their in their conference. So it's going to be a lot of there's a lot of. Um, uh, a lot of taxation on the on the players involved and such, and I'm sure the NFLPA is going to have something to say about it before they decide to put a, a team over in London. I think one th- last two comments on for this. The one thing they could avoid with that, although it's not the most perfect solution, have the London team play half their games 
at home to start the season, and then they finish the season on the road and maybe have a bye week in between the eight games. But then you have a team that's on the road for eight straight weeks, living in a hotel, practicing not at their own facility. So I I think that wouldn't be ideal either. One thing that I think the NFL should do, though, before they end up moving a team to London, Roger Goodell points to these one game a year in London and says, oh, look, we have a fan base in London. We're selling out this game. But that's between the New England Patriots and some team or the 49ers have gone and some team. It's usually a really good team and then some other team. But I would like them to have eight games or ten games and have ten different matchups. Have 20 teams play one game in London one year and see if you get ten games sold out. So if you can sell out eight to ten games in London, I think then you can say, all right, you have the fan support in order to build a team, and maybe the fan support will also support a team like Jacksonville, who's not going to be good. The Jaguars are not going to be good. They're not going to be like the Patriots, who you would actually want to go see as a somebody who lives in London because they know how to play football as opposed to the Jaguars who really struggle. Yeah, but I mean, the, putting putting that many teams over there, I mean, that's going to cause a lot of, that's going to cause a lot of issues with the travel and the jet lag and what's going to happen to, you know, let's say the Patriots play at home for week one, go to London for week two, then are back on the road in let's say Miami for week three. Uh, you know, that's, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a scheduling nightmare for, to make that work. That's true. You'd have to schedule it where I think the teams coming back from London would get, would have a bye. Now, that's that's what they've done in the past where you if you play in London the following week, you get the bye. So you, you avoid the jet lag game the following week. Well, that may solve some of it. I just don't. I, just, I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of configuration to be done by the league and by the NFLPA on trying to make this work if that's how they want to do it. Uh, I mean, I mean. I don't, I don't know. I, I just don't know how we're going to make it work for a game in London. Are we going to force it to start at you know, uh, you know, nine o'clock local? So it's on like nine o'clock lo- local in London. So it's on five hours earlier here at four o'clock in the afternoon. Is that how that's going to work? Um, in the past, I guess for the games they've had, it start at six their time. So it's a one o'clock game on the East Coast. Um, that seems to be the 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 best choice. You can't you can't have a primetime game um, for TV here on the East Coast and have it played in London. That would be impossible. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, th- th- that's that's part of the problem with why Americans don't watch as much soccer as as they could is because you know games are a lot of games are played during the evenings over or during the uh, during the uh, the early mornings over there, which is really early here. So we don't necessarily get up in time to watch those games. So hmm. you know, th- there's there's a lot of there's a lot of fandom that has to be involved, and uh, I, I would love to see the twenty team trip scenario work out for a season to see if we sell those games, but it would. Hmm. Um, uh, but it, it's going to take a lot of work, and, and that will actually show if the NFL is serious about expanding over there. But, you know, we also haven't expanded into Canada yet either. That's true, yeah. Uh, Canada might <laughs> it would definitely be easier for uh, airplanes and, and scheduling purposes. But I just thought it would be an idea to have the, the 8 or 10 games scheduled there before we commit, uh, before the NFL commits to sending a team over there permanently. So one last question for our third question. Uh, our third segment, guys. Uh, Gavin, what are you looking forward to most in the 2013 season? Uh, honestly, I'm going to be a bit of a homer here and go with something Falcons-related. Watching Tony Gonzalez play tight end one more year. Um, it took a lot of work to get him back, and it turns out that it wasn't so much lobbying from fans and teammates as it was the encouragement of his son, said, Dad, you're still good. Go play. Um, Tony Gonzalez was arguably the best tight end in football last year. And if you don't think he was the best tight end in football last year, he was definitely top three. Uh, mm. I think between the regular season and playoffs, he caught over 90 passes. He's a leader on the field, obviously a stand-up guy inside and outside of the locker room, uh, positive influence on the team. And seeing him play at such a high level last year, it was hard knowing that he was probably going to walk away. So for me, the opportunity to see Tony Gonzalez come back, play tight end, give Matt Ryan that safety valve in the red zone, 
and hopefully get one more high quality year in before he starts to see his skills deteriorate. I want to see him go out on a high note. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to see him, especially if if he would have retired and this would have been the year that Atlanta broke through and won a championship, it, it would have been bittersweet to see them win it without him. He's only mm-hmm. been in Atlanta for six years, and he feels like one of our guys, uh, speaking as a Falcons fan. You know, it, it's almost hard now to it's almost as hard now to imagine him as a Kansas City Chief as it was to imagine him playing for anyone but the Chiefs ten years ago. Uh, so for me to get to see Tony Gonzalez come back and play football one more year, that's what I'm excited about. Uh, good point, Gavin. I think uh, it would be A-OK with me if uh, him and the Falcons ended up winning the Super Bowl this year. If it's not my team winning, I would love to see him go out with a Super Bowl ring finally. Chad, what are you looking forward to this year? I'm looking for all of the fallout in the uh, AFC North. With all the cha- with all the changes in the offseason to the Super Bowl champion Ravens, with Bolden going to the West Coast, and how is Flacco going to deal with, with that? Uh, how are the Steelers going to deal with the, with the loss of both uh, uh, James Harrison from the offense and, for, remind me, Mike... Mike Wallace? Uh, Mike Wallace from the, from, from the offense. Uh, how are I mean? How are they going to deal with those defections? Uh, is how is Brandon Wheaton going to perform in mm. in Cleveland this year? And can the Bengals get over the hump and and win a playoff game? I mean, there's been a lot of changes uh, in the AFC North to what, what is arguably one of the toughest divisions in football, or the or arguably the toughest division in football. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out and how do the how do the champs respond to the mass defection of some of their best talent. I think the AFC North could be the toughest division this year. The AFC, uh, the NFC East is always very difficult, and, and it's always it seems like the person in last uh, finishes in first the next year. But um, great points. North Turner is the offensive coordinator in Cleveland now, so Whedon should improve a lot. Pittsburgh and Baltimore always seem to be there, but at some point you think they're going to drop off, right? And Pittsburgh's had a lot of changes on both sides of the ball, and they've got some rookies that could start for the first time. Um, first time for them starting rookies in positions, and uh, Baltimore with uh, trying to defend their crown. And Cincinnati, I think Cincinnati is going to be a good team in the AFC this year with Andy Dalton again, and uh, they could make the. When's the last time the Bengals made three? Uh, playoffs in, in three years in a row to the playoffs. I don't know that they've ever made three the playoffs three years in a row. Wow. Say if it happened, it would have had to be during the Boomer years, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I don't think they made it three times in a row in the Boomer years. I think they made they made it one a game uh, in '88. They made and went to the Super Bowl and lost in '89, and then they were out and they, they didn't make it in '90. So. Uh, so I, I don't know if they've ever made it three straight years in a row, and it would be three. It'll be three in a row and four out of five because we also right. made it in two thousand nine and lost in the first round. Right. So yeah, that would be. I think it. It still would be huge for Cincinnati to make um, the the playoffs once again. But like you said, they want to take the next step and win a playoff game. Yeah, they, the, they're 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 dying for a winner in that town right now. I mean, it's been uh, it's been. 23 years since they've won a World Series and they've never won a Super Bowl. So uh, that team or that city's really, really hankering to, to get it done, and uh, and uh, and they've got a really good chance to do it. If uh, but but the, the real key is Andy Dalton's got to take the next step to become an elite quarterback for that to happen. We're gonna take one more quick break. Here's another song, and then we'll come back and wrap up today's show. As I pass by a real fine hotel. A chick walked out, she sure looks well. I gave the eye and started to carry on. When a Cadillac cruised up and swish, she was gone. It should have been me with that real white chick. It should have been me with that real white chick. Hey, 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 hey. And we're back here on Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. We'd love to hear what you think about our show. Tweet at me, DM, H-O-L-C-O-M-B. Send me an email, holcombmdavid at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook. Search Dave's Football News. Now, normally I recommend stuff uh, every week for other articles on our website, 
Um, but we had such a great time with uh, Gavin and Chad today. We're running short on time, so just check out the articles that I have listed in the article uh, posting underneath the podcast for my recommended articles this week. I'm going to ask uh, Chad and Gavin one more question before we have, uh, say goodbye. Gavin, if there's one fantasy player that you that you should not pass up this year, and if on the opposite side, one fantasy player that you should definitely avoid, who are those two players? Uh, we'll start with the bad first. For me, the guy that you absolutely avoid is Marshawn Lynch. And I know that sounds counterproductive because he's been such a stud running back over the last two seasons. That's exactly why you stay away from him this year. Uh, I drafted Marshawn Lynch the last two years. The first year he was sort of a diamond in the rough for me. Didn't expect a whole lot out of him. And he was probably my most productive player. Last year he was an absolute monster. He finds the end zone. My issue with Marshawn Lynch, and I learned this as a Falcons fan watching Michael Turner. Over the last two years, between preseason, regular season, and postseason games, Marshawn Lynch has touched the ball over 700 times. It's a high-impact position. Even the most elusive of runners, we talked about Chris Johnson on the last couple of segments, and even he eventually gets worn down and gets dinged up. Marshawn Lynch is a runner that looks for contact. He gets hit, and he gets hit a lot. Even if it doesn't go down, that's impact, that's wear and tear. 700 carries and receptions over the last two seasons is a lot to ask of a guy to come out and and pile up another 350 carries. Um, That's a lot of touches. Yeah, I I don't like his odds of staying healthy again this year. For his sake, I hope he does. I like Marshawn Lynch. I have no ill will towards him. But for me, it would take a lot for me to draft him before the before the fourth or fifth round. I would have to really be desperate for a running back. On the other side of the ball, uh, on the other side of what we're talking about here, the guy you absolutely have to have, um, I, I believe Chad and Chris mentioned this guy a little bit when they were on or when you were on the show with them. Hmm. AJ Green. For me, best receiver in football, best fantasy receiver in football. I know Calvin Johnson had the monster year. As a guy that has had A.J. Green on his team for the last two years, he's a difference maker, Uh, especially in PPR leagues and especially in leagues where you get bonuses for longer touchdowns. Hmm. A.J. Green is a threat to score every time the ball goes in the air in his direction. Single coverage, double coverage, triple coverage, it doesn't matter. That guy finds a way to get the ball and then get into the end zone. I would be very curious to see what the Bengals' record is when A.J. Green scores a touchdown versus when he doesn't. And it's frustrating when you've got him on your team because Andy Dalton sometimes struggles to find him in the end zone, and I know that it's a result of double and triple coverage, and it's not Andy Dalton's fault, but I find myself screaming at the television, throw the (laughs) ball to A.J. Green. Um, I know wide receivers aren't typically a priority position, when you're drafting, you go quarterbacks and running backs first. But last year, you know, I won my league championship. I didn't have a quarterback in the top five. I didn't have a running back in the top five. I think Marshawn Lynch may have been fifth in our league last year in scoring. A.J. Green was the number two wide receiver in our league. I had the number one tight end, the number one defense, and the number one kicker and won the league. Um, wide receivers, if you've got a guy like A.J. Green, can make a huge difference. I promise you, if you draft A.J. Green, barring injury, you will not be disappointed. I usually take um, the approach to do running backs and wide receivers first, actually, Gavin. So I I usually take the the quarterback much, much later because there's so many great quarterbacks in the league. You could get a guy like, um, you know, Roethlisberger or even a Cutler. We know we, we said that he's not maybe not a franchise quarterback, but he still puts up pretty decent numbers to um, get better value early on at running back and wide receiver. That's that's my own strategy. But uh, Chad, who uh, who do you got that you, you must avoid and who do you have that you can't pass up? All right, the one guy you got to avoid this year, I think, is going to be Phillip Rivers. I mean, I know that he that a lot of people view him as a franchise quarterback, but he is clearly in decline. Um, his uh, touchdown percentage is down uh, over the last five years. His yards per attempt is on its way down. His yards per catch is on its way down. He's only getting about 225 yards a game, which is about 50 off of his uh, high season uh, a couple of years ago. Um, I really believe that 
he's you know fading into the desert sun and he may not be a charger much longer uh if he continues that decline uh if for for a guy that you have to have on your team i would i would look into uh i would look at the uh i would look at the 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 cleveland browns and i would say go grab josh gordon with 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 a new offensive system in cleveland I'm, I expect to see better things out of Brandon Whedon this year, and I think his number one target is going to be Josh Gordon. I think uh, you're going to get him for a lot of value late in the draft. Uh, you, you could probably get him in a seventh, eighth, ninth round if a lot of receivers haven't been taken around, maybe even later than that. He's probably going to be a seven, eight, nine, or ten touchdown, you know, a seven to ten touchdown uh, wide receiver this year. He's going to give you a lot of performance and uh, for, for the value of where you're going to get him. I think he's the guy to go get. I'm laughing, or I, I was laughing, only because Philip Rivers has been my guy the last few years. But I, I really, I, I agree with you that he's really been in decline. I had him in 2010, which I think he led the league in uh, passing yards that year. So um, he, he was my quarterback on my championship team that year, and I got him very, very late. So that's part of my strategy is drafting a good quarterback late. But don't, don't, I, don't let it be Philip Rivers this year. I agree with that. Yeah, it just seems that it, I mean, he he had 4,700 yards in 2010. He had 4,600 in 2011, and then he just fell off the planet. He was only 3,600, mm-hmm. only getting 225 a game. Uh, you know, he was he was still pretty decent in his touchdown to interception ratio, 26 to 15. Uh, that's not bad, uh, but he's just not putting up the kind of numbers that you would that, that you need out of your number one quarterback. If if you can get, I mean, there there are much better options in the league than taking Philip Rivers as your starting quarterback. Right, and I think a lot of people overlooked how big of a loss Vincent Jackson was for the the Chargers last season. Yeah, I mean, it, because now everybody everybody knows he's going to be throwing to to, to Gates more than, than necessary, and if and Gates has been hurt a lot, so that's right. kind of cut down that a little bit. So, uh, you know, they've not really had a chance to get the offense going. Though, even though they did go seven and nine last year, uh, it was not it was not because of an of, of an offensive juggernaut. I mean, as if anybody watched that uh, San Diego Kansas City Monday Night Football game, they saw exactly how great that that uh, that Chargers or that Chargers offense is not. So. Well, that's all we have for you today. We ran a little bit extra, but I uh, hope you enjoyed all our conversations about sports. I really, or about the NFL, excuse me. I loved uh, the conversations. Gavin, Chad, thanks for coming on today's show. Thanks for having us on, Dave. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Dave. It was uh, good to see you. And uh, make sure to check out uh, all the articles on the sports and games over at the Casual Heroes and uh, follow us at uh, the Casual Heroes on Twitter. Yes, I hope my fans can go check out those as well. In the meantime, I'm going to go try and find some peace in my mind.